Let me tell you about a story of a young man growing up in a small town of Oklahoma in 1991. He was a 10th grader in high school. He had a part-time job on the weekends working at a local diner known as The Hub. It was a seafood buffet. The only thing worse than being a dishwasher at a diner would be a dishwasher at a Chinese food, I mean, excuse me, a seafood buffet. Uh, I know that because it was me. The bad part about it was if you wanted seconds, you got a new plate. If you wanted a side of potato salad, yes, potato salad on a seafood buffet, you got another plate, you got a bowl. The worst thing about being a dishwasher at a seafood buffet was the little metal cups that people put tartar sauce and uh, all of that other loveliness, shrimp sauce, all that good stuff. And then they would stack them together and bring them to you. I lived a pretty simple life growing up in this small town. There really wasn't that much to do, but there were a few things that I loved to do. One of the things that I loved to do was that I would love to go down to the park with my friends. We lived about a block away from a basketball court. So we would go down and play basketball at the court. I was terrible at basketball, but it was something to do, and I enjoyed doing that. Uh, we also liked to walk down to uh, what was known as Video Magic. It was about two blocks away from my house, and you could rent movies, but most of all, you could rent video games. Yes, uh, old Nintendo, and you could go rent video games, rent them for the weekend, and then go return them uh, when the weekend was over. And we did that almost every single weekend. We would go rent video games. But one other thing that we used to love to do is we used to enjoy hanging out and watching TV on Monday nights. Now, why Monday nights? Because on Monday nights, that's when wrestling came on. As a little boy, I grew up watching the Von Ericks and the Freebirds. And if you're old like I am, you remember the Von Ericks and the Freebirds. Uh, those were way back in the day. And then, of course, growing up, watch, after watching them, I got to watch guys such as Macho Man Randy Savage, Ric Flair, Sergeant Slaughter. Anybody remember the sergeant? Yeah. Uh, Shawn Michaels and, of course, Hulk Hogan. This was real entertainment. You can't tell me any different. Uh, that, but that's what Monday nights were made for, is watching wrestling. Wrestling was such a big deal back in the early 90s that many times churches and youth groups would try to mimic wrestling events in order to get obnoxious teenage boys to come to youth events, just like me. And I remember very specifically getting invited by one of my friends. And this is exactly the order in which he invited me. He says, come to this event at my church. It's going to be Wednesday. It's going to be at 6 o'clock. There's going to be wrestling. There's going to be pizza. And there's going to be good-looking girls. <laughs> this is exactly how the invitation went out. So a 15-year-old boy. Nothing really going on on a Wednesday night. Little did I know that on that particular Wednesday night, I was going to have an encounter with the God of the universe. And so, back to this obnoxious Wednesday night. Many of the pastors and some of the college-age students at this event decided that they would dress up and mimic some of the masterful moves of Hulk Hogan. And it was very cheesy, but 
even if it was cheesy when you had free pizza and plenty of good-looking girls around, uh, it sufficed for a good Wednesday night at this church. <clears throat> so, as I'm there, we watch the entertainment. It's a lot of fun. Eat the pizza. And they invite us into the worship center. And at this point, there's a man up on the stage, and he tells me all about how I was a sinner. And I knew this myself. You, could, you didn't have to tell me much about myself. I knew all about how much of a sinner I was. But then he told me about God. Now, growing up as a young boy, I was always told that when I sin, I broke God's heart. That's what, I, that's what I was told growing up. That's how I thought of God. I hurt his feelings when I sin. But little did I know, he told me something new about God on this night. He told me that God was holy, holy, holy. And me being a sinner, 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 I'd been separated from God. And because of that separation, he sent his son, Jesus, to die in my place. And I remember that night... <clears throat> standing there in that pew, First Baptist Church, Marietta, Oklahoma, and I remember grabbing in front of me, grabbing the pew in front of me and just holding on tight. Like, I remember my heart beating in my chest so hard that I thought this guy next to me has to hear that. And I remember God's calling me that night, and I walked forward, and I decided that day to follow Jesus with the rest of my life, and uh, the rest is kind of history in that point. I tell you that story because we're going to look at another story tonight in, in Acts chapter 8. And we're going to see, so if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 8 with me. You know, some of my favorite passages in Scripture is when you see God take someone that the rest of the world looks at and they least expect God to be working in their life, and He does something uh, that causes everyone to look and just be amazed at what God does. <clears throat> so Acts chapter 8. This leads us to our big idea. Our big idea tonight is God works in amazing ways to save unlikely people. So let's start reading in verse 25. It says, Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go to the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. There is, this is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. And was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join the chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? He said, well, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up, come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before his shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom I ask you, 
does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scriptures, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Here's some water. What prevents me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus, and he passed through. Uh, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to uh, to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Let's pray this evening. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you are still in the business of saving unlikely people. So, God, we ask that as we look at this scripture tonight. And as we think about our own lives and our own roles and and how you want to use us to further your kingdom's purpose, I pray that you would open our eyes to this scripture, open our eyes to the call that you've placed on our life as a Christian. I pray that you would help us to obey you fully in that. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I told you the big idea was God working in amazing ways to save unlikely people. And one of the things that I want you to wrestle with tonight, and there's no pun intended there, uh, are you willing to be used by the Lord in this way? Are you willing to be used in this way? Are you ready to say yes to God whenever He asks you to do something? Will you serve Him? It may look different for every single one of us in this room. But are we willing to say yes? So how does God save people? Let's look at how our role in this and how God saves people. Number one, believers follow the Spirit's lead. So Philip is returning to Jerusalem or he has returned to Jerusalem from a trip up to the Samaritan country. And no sooner than he returns, an angel of the Lord gives him a visit and lets him know that it's time to leave again. Verse 26 Angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise, go down to the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Here it is on the map. Gaza would have been uh, kind of this last stop on the road before you get to the main highway that would lead down to Egypt and, and into Ethiopia. It would have been one of those last stops on the road. This is kind of like when me and my family decide that we're going to go see Gigi in Lubbock, La Mesa. It's the midway point. Uh, my children have small bladders, and so therefore La Mesa is a stop on the road every single time we go to Lubbock. It's one of those things of you either stop now or you have an accident. <clears throat> so this would have been a really strange request of Philip. Um, they were in Samaria. This was an entirely different uh, region to an entirely different group of people. And his time in Samaria was very fruitful. They saw people coming to know the Lord. Things were happening. And when the angel tells him, say, pack up, I have something else for you to do. I want you to go down to the desert. This was more than likely a very dangerous road. This would not have been a fun place for him to do. It was not a fun trip, I'm sure. But he asked him to do something. And he immediately goes. You know, one of the things that God does often is he asks us to do strange things in strange places. 
I think about the first trip that we took to Kenya. Here's a picture of our group. We were on safari at that time. But I think about what the Lord has accomplished through Chris and Lisa and nourishing the nations. And it all started from this trip. And you look at a lot of people in in that picture and you're like, man, they don't even go to this church. Some of them don't go to church. But it's amazing what God accomplished and is accomplishing still through this first trip to Kenya. Now, a lot of the things that we did on this trip, we intentionally don't do anymore because we're like, yeah, that was a bad idea. That was a bad idea. Let's not do those things anymore. Let's do it a little better. And so, but it all stemmed from obedience to go when God had called us to go. For Philip, this probably would have been the last place on his radar that he would have thought to go. Verse 27, and he rose and went. God, the Spirit said, go. Philip said, yes, sir. Now, there's no dialogue there, so we don't know if he argued, or we don't know if he said, well, let me pray about it for a few days. It just says he rose and went. So he goes, and in the midst of this, we see the scene shift. Verse 27 also says, there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. So, this Ethiopian eunuch had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was heading back home. He was returning back home to Ethiopia. So who is this eunuch? Who is this foreigner uh, that we're looking at? A few things that we look at from this text. First of all, he was from Ethiopia. Here's a map. Uh, You can see where Jerusalem's at. You can see where Ethiopia is at. This would have been in the Old Testament, that region of Cush. uh, Southern Egypt through modern day Sudan, about 1,500 miles from Jerusalem. Now let that sink in for a second. 1,500 miles from Jerusalem. Uh, My furthest living, uh, obviously living, uh, relative that I have on this planet lives in Helena, Montana. My sister lives in Helena, Montana. And that is approximately 1,465 miles from Odessa. I don't know about you, I don't even want to take that trip in my Ford pickup, much less a chariot. And so to think about how long this must have taken this eunuch from Ethiopia to go on this journey all the way up to Jerusalem, and now he is returning home. And so one of the things that I don't want us to miss from this book, from this uh, text, is how Luke... uh, is highlighting race. I mean, he could have said a lot about this person and who Philip is interacting with, but he's highlighting the race. And you will start seeing this uh, once division within the races. You had the Jewish race and you had everyone else. And you're going to start seeing throughout the book of Acts how God is going to start tearing these walls down. He highlights them. He shows all these different nationalities, all these different people groups, And he's going to start tearing these walls down by saying, these people are becoming believers. These people are becoming believers. And he highlights race within this. And you see small highlights of of that throughout the Old Testament. But when people in the Old Testament were brought into the family of God, they they became Jewish. They fell under their law. And here in 
the New Testament, we see them coming under a new covenant. So first of all, he was from Ethiopia. Second of all, he was an official. He is of the royal office of Candace, queen of Ethiopia. Now, Candace was not her name. Okay, Candace was her title. It would have been like someone calling someone the Pharaoh or Xerxes or Caesar. It would have been a title for the queen. And so this guy had a huge responsibility. He was in charge of all her treasury. He would have been in charge. He would have been a very rich man. He would have been a very intelligent man. Um, And so he would have been in charge of her financial situation, her well-being. And, of course, he's traveling by chariot. And not just traveling by chariot, but he would have been traveling with a party of people. He would not have gone by himself on this dangerous road up to Jerusalem. He would have been with an entire group of people. But what was he doing while he was there? Verse 28. And he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. He has his own copy of the book of Isaiah. Now, it would have looked something like this up on the screen. Now, we hear that and you're like, okay, big deal, Corey. I come to church every Sunday with my copy of Isaiah as well as the other 65 books. Every single Sunday, I'm good. In these days, you just did not have a scroll. You didn't just own a scroll. They were very rare. They were very, very expensive. Uh, They would have been kept in the temple. They would have been kept in the synagogue. Uh, And if you wanted to hear God's word, you went to the temple, you went to the synagogue, and you read or you heard about them. You listened to them being read. So for him to have this copy of Isaiah, this was a big deal. Now, side sermon. Just a little side sermon. Had to throw this in here. The very fact that we had to determine which Bible we were going to come to church with tonight. Do I want my NIV? Do I want my NASB? Do I want my ESV? Which Bible do I want to take? The fact that we have a copy under every chair that you're sitting in. That anyone at any time can walk in here and grab it and take it if you would like to. You're more than welcome to. Anyone. The fact that we all have those. Luke chapter 12. To everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. There are countless people around the world who would be thrown in jail or killed for even having a copy of God's word. And yet we have it Day in, day out, every single day. So, side sermon over. Uh, Let's keep going. He was from Ethiopia. He was an official. Next, he was a eunuch. This was a very common practice um, for people um, who worked closely with the queen uh, in Ethiopia. Uh, Castration. They did not want anything happening that would... um, Threaten the dynasty. So they would often with many people who worked in service to the queen. Or who were enslaved by the queen. Would uh, use this uh, form so that they did not threaten the dynasty. It also helped a person to be fully committed and devoted to the queen. And so uh, that's all we're going to say about that. Next lastly they were a worshiper. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning home. 
This guy was seeking to worship the one true God, Yahweh. He had made the trip all the way from Ethiopia up to Jerusalem, like I said, 1,500 miles. People who were believers, they were expected to make this pilgrim's journey up to Jerusalem at least one time a year to worship. And so he had a respect and awe for Yahweh. And he was also a non-Jew who believed in Yahweh. He did, uh, like I said, come from a foreign land. Uh, But one of the things that that raises the question of is how did this Ethiopian become a believer in Yahweh or start believing in Yahweh? A lot of commentators, some commentators link the possibility of uh, they go all the way back to Solomon and the Queen of Sheba and their connections and they would have said that through their conversations, through their writings in, the, in their books, and through the studying of those scriptures, uh, this eunuch had come into a knowledge of Yahweh and possibly had come up to worship Yahweh here in Jerusalem. However, he had one big problem. He was a eunuch. And in Deuteronomy 23, 1, it prohibited eunuchs from coming into the temple. A prohibited temple for them to even come to the temple for worship. So he couldn't even fully participate. And so he still went to worship. He still went to uh, offer his worship to Yahweh. And evidently he was rich enough that he, uh, if he could not go into the temple to hear the book of Isaiah, he just bought his own copy of it. I don't know what that cost, but somehow or another he has his own copy of Isaiah. So... Let's keep reading. Verse 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join the chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And he asked, Do you understand what you are reading? I want you to try to imagine Philip in this moment. He's walking. He's praying. He has no clue what God has called him to. Then all of a sudden you see this entourage of people on the side of the road. Must be... Someone very important. There's a, there's a chariot there. And so, as he is walking, the Spirit tells him, go over to the chariot. And I love this scripture. It says, he ran over to him. And as he runs over there, he hears him reading uh, from Isaiah. Now, there are times in life when we are given the proverbial softball to hit. It's like someone throws a pitch and it's just floating in the air and you just have to sit back and you have to wait on it. Philip here in this moment is given the proverbial softball because the very text that the Ethiopian eunuch is reading from is probably the most direct passage about Jesus in the Old Testament. Definitely maybe the the most clear one about Jesus in the book of Isaiah, if not all of the Old Testament. And so he asked him, do you understand what you're reading? And he says to him, well, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. This is the biggest, not only does he hear him and he asks him, but he invites him onto his chariot. Heck, sit up here with me. Talk with me about this. And so he's reading, he's searching. The more he reads in Isaiah, the more maybe confused he becomes. I don't understand what's going on here. Isn't it amazing how God brings people at the right place, at the right time, at the right moment, and 
He knows exactly what he's doing. I know we know that. But we still get amazed when we, that happens in our own life. The right place, the right time. God was moving in both of these men's lives under both of these men's circumstances for his will to come to fruition. This is why I believe it's important for us, believers, 2022, Odessa, Texas, both individually and as a church, to follow the Spirit's lead. We need to be very sensitive to the Spirit's calling in our lives. When He says go, we need to go. When He says stop, we need to stop. Uh, Sometimes if He says hush, we need to hush. And yes, that means every single one of us. Charles Spurgeon has a great quote. He says, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Let that one just kind of sink in for a minute. Every Christian is a missionary or an imposter. A.K.A. every Christian is a missionary. God is working. And we as his followers need to join him in his work. And as you read through the book of Acts, I think you're going to find God does this a lot. And we we see when God moves, we just look at this whole situation and think, wow, look at what God is doing. We need to follow the Spirit's lead. Secondly, believers proclaim Jesus as Savior and Lord. Believers must proclaim Jesus as Savior and Lord. Let's keep reading. Verse 32. Now the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep that was led to the slaughter, like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture with this scripture he told him the good news about Jesus the passage that the Ethiopian is reading in this moment is from Isaiah 53 if you have a bible flip over to Isaiah 53 we're going to camp out there just for a second like i said this is the proverbial softball that is being tossed up for him to hit this is high on the list you see, in the book of Isaiah, you have this mystery that's taking place. And this was, maybe this is what was confusing this eunuch in this moment, this Ethiopian. You have this king, this king that is coming to rule over his enemies. And yet, this king dies. He will suffer and die. And so this guy would have been thinking, well, how can a dead king rule over his enemies? I don't understand that. What's he, maybe that's what he's struggling with here. Uh, you have to be able to do what Philip is going to do here in verse 35. It's vital. It says, Philip opened his mouth and beginning with what? Beginning with the scriptures. He told him the good news about Jesus. Philip probably started rolling back that scroll and be like, let me show you some stuff. This is awesome. Look at Isaiah 53. Look at verse 2. Maybe he looked at that and said, do you see this guy he's talking about where he had no form or majesty that anyone would desire him? Guess what? He's talking about Jesus. Despised and rejected by men? Yep, Jesus. That's pointing us forward to Jesus. Man of sorrows? Jesus. How he bore our grief? 
How he carried our sorrows? Jesus. Verse 5. He was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Also that we could have peace. It's Jesus. By his wounds we are healed. You got it. It's not about Isaiah. It's about Jesus. Hey, Mr. Ethiopian man. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned from our own ways. Guess what? This is all about us and about Jesus. He said he took all of our sin and placed it on himself. Lead him right up to the text that we, he was reading. Philip tells him, yes. It wasn't about Isaiah. It was about Jesus. All of these things that, we, that you are reading about. I like to think. Okay, Now this text does not say this. But as these guys were going along the road, I like to think that Isaiah, I mean that Philip probably did this. If you look in Isaiah 55, he highlights the fact that all you need to do is come. Come to me. And as it goes on, you shall call to a nation that you do not know. Guess what? Ethiopia is a nation that is not of God's people. Speaking of people who were not originally of the covenant of God, chapter 56. Maybe he flipped over to chapter 56 there. There's not chapters back in those scrolls he was just reading along, right? But maybe he went to this text. Chapter 56, look at verse 3. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. Let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me, and who hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. I want you to think about what this must have meant to this man as he listened to these scriptures. Maybe that happened... Maybe not. But Philip along the way shared the scriptures about Jesus. And he pointed this man to all of these scriptures saying this is about Jesus. Think of the joy that this man would have had on hearing the good news. About making sense of what the prophet Isaiah was saying to him. To be given a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. And Philip tells him, you know you just took this pilgrimage up to Jerusalem all of those things you saw the temple sacrifices every feast every festival all those laws they were pointing us forward to Jesus the son of God and so all of these Old Testament scriptures that, were, that you are reading it's pointing us forward to Jesus and so lastly believers call sinners to respond to Jesus in faith verse 36 As they were going along the road, he came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's some water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. When he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. Evidently in their conversations, Philip had spoke with the Ethiopian eunuch about what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. Some of the things that followers of Jesus would have done. And as they're traveling along, he sees some water. Evidently, that was very scarce on this road down to Ethiopia. And he says, there's water. 
Let's do this. So he and Philip get out. He baptizes him, and then he's gone. Uh, I like how this Ethiopian eunuch not only wants God to know what he believes and through his actions, he wants Philip to know, he wants all those traveling with him to know what it He says, I'm taking this seriously. And in this baptism, he's saying, I am identifying with Jesus. You know, baptism doesn't wash away your sins. Faith in Jesus does that. But he's saying here, I'm going to identify with Christ. And so, but when we are baptized, as Jesus commands us, we are identifying with Jesus in his death and in his resurrection into the new life. So this man responds to Jesus in faith, and he wants the world to know. What a beautiful picture that is. Now, here we go. Does anyone, did anyone catch that verse 37 is missing from your Bible? Anyone? Everybody's like, what? 37 is missing? If you have the NIV, you have it. If you have the ESV, it's gone. This isn't a mistake. Verse 37 says this. If I were to read it as it goes through. They were going along the road. They came to some water. And the eunuch said, here's some water. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stop. That's how it would have gone. This isn't a mistake in the Bible. This isn't some. This Verse 37 would not have been something that was in the original text. This is something that a scribe probably added later to try to help it to make a little bit more sense uh, because it is very brief. Here's some water. What prevents me from being baptized? You're right. Let's go. And he's trying to put a little bit of a conversion in between the acceptance and the baptism. And so it's not a mistake If you want a deeper understanding into what this means and why they did that, you can come see Landon this week. He would love to explain it to you. You're welcome. Let's continue reading. Verse 39. And when he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more. He went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus, and he passed through, and he preached the gospel to the towns until he came to Caesarea. Here's a map. You see that he vanishes. Now, I'm going to try to make sense of this in the best way that I know how. What did this look like? What does this mean? I'm going to answer it the best way I can. I don't know. What happened? The Spirit of God carried Philip away. Uh, What did that look like? I don't know. Was it like Elijah being carried off by a chariot? I don't know. You know, I, I, I don't know. Was it like Enoch in Genesis chapter 5 where he was walking with God and God just took him? Maybe. I don't know. All I know is he was there, he baptized him, and then he was in Azotus. And he continued to preach the gospel there. Don't know what it looks like, but I will tell you what I do know. The Spirit had led Philip to this place for a reason. He had led him to this spot. I remember going to a children's camp. In Falls Creek, Oklahoma, I went as a sponsor to children's camp. Uh, And on this specific uh, year, this summer camp, uh, the theme was, where's your spot? And spot meant, when. what was your specific place or time 
that God called you to himself. And so this was a specific place or time that Philip led. Philip was led by the Spirit of God. God had led the eunuch to this specific place and time. And these two men meeting, we see someone who was seeking, someone who had the answers. God places them together. It's amazing what God does uh, through these two men. And so then it says the Ethiopian eunuch goes away rejoicing. I don't know about you, but that must have been really weird for the Ethiopian eunuch. Some dude goes down into the water with you to be baptized, and you come up out of the water, and he vanishes, and you're like, okay. Uh, let me go proclaim the gospel in Ethiopia. So, well, it's a great story. Uh, I wish we had a little bit more of what happens uh, in the Ethiopian eunuch's life. But it does tell us he goes away rejoicing of what Jesus did in his life. And so... What do we need to take away from this story? First of all, we need, we must make God's word central in our lives. You know, I hope and I pray that all of us are taking, spending time in God's word seriously. Uh, I enjoy us walking through the New Testament together as a church. Uh, So my question to you tonight is, how are you doing with that? Are you doing good with it? Are you like, man, Corey, I'm like five weeks behind. I'm playing catch up. I'm trying to. uh, I just want to encourage you. We're diligently trying to train up our children to spend time in God's word every single day. It's five chapters a week. We can do this, right? Uh, I would just encourage you. Make this a priority in your life. Um, I've told told you this before in all of my years of student ministry. Uh, I used to tell our students, if I could teach you how to do one thing, it would be to fall in love with God's Word. Because I believe God's Word changes our lives. I believe it's life-altering. I believe if you fall in love with God's Word, it's going to direct your path. And God can use you in that way. Uh, I've also been told it's hard to share it and teach it if you don't know it. It's kind of true. It's hard for us to be led by the Spirit and people have, answer, or people have questions about who Jesus is. And if we don't spend time in God's word, we're going to be standing there going, I, I, I don't, kind of be like me with what happened to Philip. I don't know. He, poof, he was gone, right? It's hard to share it and teach it if you don't know it. Isaiah 48 says, The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. I hope we make it a priority in our life. Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Philip was able to share with this Ethiopian eunuch because he knew the scriptures. Wasn't a big deal for him because he knew Isaiah. He had heard these scriptures. He knew about the, the prophet's writings. He knew about this scroll. To everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. To be able to own your own copy of God's word. I hope we don't allow our Bibles to become collectors of dust and a paperweight. But we open it and use it and let it transform us from the inside out. God's word needs to be central in our life. Secondly, we must ask God to arrange divine appointments. I want to challenge us. This evening, as Landon encouraged us on Sunday to be a praying people. 
a praying church, one of the specific things I think we need to be praying for is that God would place divine appointments in our lives. And when God does put divine appointments in our life, because if you ask him to do that, you better not be surprised when he does. And when he does, I think we need to be ready to obey as the Spirit leads us. Um, It's hard to share what you don't know. Spend time in God's Word. Ask for these divine appointments. And and be ready to share who Jesus is for you. God places people in our paths at just the right time and just the right places and to use for His kingdom's purpose. And for some of us, that might be across the street to your neighbor's house. For some of us, it might be someone that we work with. For some of us, it might mean having our family over for dinner and just talking to them about what Jesus is doing in your life. We all know people that need to hear the truth about who Jesus Christ is. I pray that we are obedient to the Spirit in that. So will you join me in praying that God will begin that good work in people and that God would bring us to that person uh, and open those doors as we share the gospel with family, friends, and maybe even complete strangers. So Paul uh, wrote Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to get to Paul on Sunday. We're going to talk a little bit about him. But uh, he writes a prayer in Ephesians 3 about spiritual strength. He says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in earth and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend what all the saints, what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, uh, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. So he's praying for our spiritual strength. Then he says this, it's on the screen. Now to uh, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ever ask or think according to the power at work within us, To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I hope that we will pray for these divine appointments. And God will place people in our path that need to know about Jesus. Lastly, we must obey when uh, when God directs our paths. We must obey. Obedience is going to be the key. Saying yes. I wish I could tell you this is going to be easy. I think sometimes when God asks us to do something, uh, oftentimes it may be the last thing that we want to do. For Philip, I'm sure going to a desert road was one of the last things that he wanted to do. A pagan highway, uh, down to the middle of nowhere. But guess what? He obeyed. And God is going to use him. God had something amazing waiting for him. So when God calls, he expects us to obey. Uh, Lisa, in student ministry, used to tell the students this all the time. She used to say, delayed obedience is disobedience. And that's the truth for us as well. If you're, if you're not... Uh, <laughs> when God asks you to do something, yes, pray about it. But don't spend too much time praying about it. If he asks you to do something, just do it. Right? Obey. That's what we expect out of our kids. That's what God expects out of us. Listen and obey. Even when it doesn't make sense, I think for some of us, he may be calling us to do um, 
to get out of our comfort zone. Uh, Maybe for some of us, he may be calling us to teach and to lead in ministries around our church. Uh, I don't know what God is placing on your heart, but I think for some of us, um, he may be calling us to teach and to lead in ministries around our church. There are always needs, and maybe you are thinking that's a job for someone who knows what they're doing, that's a job for someone else. No, it's a job for a Christian. If you're a Christian, you're either a missionary or you're an imposter. Well, let's go back to Marietta, 1991. Back to the fall, and that fall afternoon, 1991, those old men in tights running around the, the wrestling ring. Um, one of those men was my pastor. His name was Tommy Higgle. You've probably heard me speak about Brother Tommy through many years. Um, if he would have only known that dressing up in a goofy outfit and jumping around a wrestling ring and letting his son throw him around the wrestling ring and passing out pizza, how that would impact a young man's life. But that's it. He did know. He did know that doing that would impact somebody because he knew that God was preparing people. He knew that God was calling people. He knew that God was in charge of the, of the saving part. It's not anything that he could do. He was just obedient to joining, to joining God in what he had called him to do. The thing is, he left the calling, he left the preparing, he left the saving up to God. He said, you know what, God, I'm just going to be obedient to what you've called me to do. That means dressing up goofy and running around a wrestling ring. That means proclaiming the gospel to a bunch of teenagers who are full of pizza and just want to go home. I'm going to do it. And because of his faithfulness, because of his obedience, my life has been forever changed. Now, my question to you, will you join him in that same work? God's at work all around us. Will we join him in what he's doing? Let's pray tonight.